Thank you, Pam. All right, before we introduce our speakers, we would like to remind you all that the speakers share their own experience, strength, and hope. They do not speak for the convention, Region 2, or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. So please join me in welcoming our first speaker, Sandy. Right, exactly. Thank you, Jack. Thank you, Jack. Okay, so please join me in welcoming our first speaker, Wendy. Thank you so much. Does this mean I qualify for young people's meetings? I was hoping that correlation... Good morning, everyone. My name is Wendy, and I'm a real compulsive overeater. And I am so honored to be here and so grateful to be here. Um, My home group is the 9 a.m. Saturday morning Step and Tradition Mean at Sutter Hospital in Sacramento, California. Um, I want to thank everyone on the committee that made this amazing, amazing weekend possible. It's my understanding that there are 514 registered people here today, and that is phenomenal. You know, O-Readers Anonymous is all over the world. I've had the good fortune of being in meetings in different parts of the country and and even different parts of the world. There are many, many people in recovery every day working for absence, working the steps, that couldn't even imagine having the gift and the blessing of being in a room with 500 compulsive readers. We are so, so fortunate. I also want to give a shout-out to... Oh, thank you. I also want to um, thank Jack, who I've already lost, but somewhere he's here, I hope. Ah, there he is! Um, He's also my timer, so it's really important I know where he is. Um, I want to thank Jack. You know, I hadn't met him before today, or yesterday, and Jack is someone that through a few phone calls and a few emails, I knew I wanted what he had. I wanted his commitment to service. I wanted his sense of humor, and I couldn't wait to meet him, and I find that truly one of the miracles of Overeaters Anonymous, that you can have little teeny exchanges with someone and you know, yeah, I want what they've got. You know, and there have been so many people on this convention that I want what they've got. And I really want to thank people who've been around more years than me, both in recovery abstinently and just on the planet. Um, You know, I heard a man speak last night who's 86 years old. God willing, I hope I'm speaking in OA when I'm 86 years old. So I want to welcome the newcomers. I know that there are probably people here who are fairly new to Overeaters Anonymous. I want to make sure that you know that you are not alone anymore, and I want to welcome you home. You never have to have that quiet desperation and sense of loneliness that you had before, ever. My job today is to share my truth, my experience, strength, and hope, and and hopefully on the topic of letting go, because that's what I've been asked to address. I am not an expert on Overeaters Anonymous, so please, please take what you like and leave the rest. If I'm reading from the literature, you might want to listen. If I'm sharing my opinion, you might want to pause, <laughs> check in and say, do I really care what she has to say about that? Um, you know, I used to use the phrase all the time before I came into Overeaters Anonymous, in my humble opinion. 
And then I came into OA, and I worked the fourth and fifth step, and apparently I don't have a humble opinion. <laughs> you know, my, uh, my humble opinion got me up to 194 pounds. So definitely take what you like and leave the rest. Um, I want to qualify at the beginning. I want to say that by the grace of God and the 12 steps, I have been abstinent one day at a time since August 3rd, 1989. Which gives me chills to say that's 286 months and 27 days. And I always count the months because the years just seem presumptuous to me. Months keeping me more grounded. And I say that I have 286 months, not to impress you, but to impress upon you that this program works. And it says that I'm to bear witness, so I will do my best today to bear witness. That is truly by God's grace. I have surrendered a little over 70 pounds and maintained a 70-pound weight loss as a result of the steps and God's grace. And I lived a life today beyond my wildest dreams. I am on the road of happy destiny. And in case I forget to say it later, It doesn't say on page 164, we trudge the road to happy destiny. It says we trudge the road of happy destiny. This is it. I'm on it. We're all on it. And I just saw my 86-year-old friend. It's nice to see you here. Sorry. Um, Boy, that's not really too anonymous, is it? I just pointed out his age. I'm sorry. Um, Okay, fair is fair. I'm 55. Okay, we're even. Okay, so here's what I want to do. Um, I want to read a couple of pages from the big book, and this is the first time that I've spoken since AA has asked us to not change the words alcohol to food and alcoholic to compulsive overeater. And I got to tell you, one of the things I got to let go of is my opinion, my um, sense of, oh, but if you only knew, if you only knew, if I read these passages and say food and compulsive overeater, it will change people's lives, because that's what I've been doing for a lot of years. And this is the first time I've done it the way I'm supposed to, you know, that. This is the first time I've done it since uh, AAS, just to not change the word. So um, bear with me. I'm just going to read some passages from the big book because it tells my story better than I ever could. On chapter 3 on more about alcoholism, it says, Most of us have been unwilling to admit that we were real alcoholics. No person likes to think that she is bodily and mentally different from her fellows. It is not surprising that our drinking careers have been characterized by countless vain attempts to prove we could drink like other people. The idea that somehow he or she will control and enjoy their drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. The persistence of this illusion is astonishing. Many pursue it into the gates of insanity or death. For me, I didn't want to admit that I was a real compulsive overeater. I didn't want to admit that I couldn't eat like other people, that I couldn't be a recreational eater, that I couldn't have frozen yogurt or or chips and salsa like other people and be part of the social you know, connection. I didn't want to admit that. But I came into Overeaters Anonymous, and you told me that if I don't admit that, I can pursue it into the gates of insanity or death. And I have in my big book, and carry it with me always, the um, funeral programs from two members, one who died of compulsive over two, two people, one who died of compulsive overeating, abstinent, but the disease chased him, you know, the, the ramifications of the disease, and a good friend of mine who died anorexic who never made it in, and I hang on to those programs so I don't forget it is a progressive disease. I can die from this disease. On page 24, it says, the fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. Okay, so for me as a compulsive overeater, I have lost the power of choice in eating. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent, 
we are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory and the suffering and the humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against that first drink. I call this the incredibly short memory, (laughs) the ism of our disease. It wasn't a week or a month ago for me. It was the previous night. It was one more time I'm going to have the last supper because I am never, ever, ever going to eat this food again. So I had the last supper. You know what that looks like. And the next day by 10 o'clock in the morning, as a workaholic, I'm still making excuses to get out of work so that I can get to my binge food and do all that stuff that I lied. Oh, my secretary would like blah, 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 and all that stuff, and it was all for me. So that's my incredibly short memory. And then the last thing I'll read, uh, under We Agnostics, and I came into this program, Atheist, so this is a very powerful chapter for me, as is the appendix. If when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely, or if when eating you have little control over the amount you take, excuse me, or if when drinking you have a little control over the amount you take, you are probably an alcoholic. If that be the case, you may be suffering from an illness that only a spiritual experience will conquer I cannot, when I'm eating, quit entirely if I was to eat certain foods. And I certainly cannot control the amount that I take. I am a real compulsive overeater, and I do need a spiritual solution to conquer it. And as as I said, by the grace of God in the 12 steps, I I have maintained abstinence in a 70-pound weight loss for a long time. Um, I did not come in here on a winning streak. uh, you know. And my experience has been the more I eat, the more I want to eat. The less I eat, the less I want to eat. Today I eat three meals a day, nothing in between, no matter what. Even when I'm traveling to foreign countries and I have unusual time frames in my day, that works for me. I eat no sugar, no flour, and I eat no methadone foods. Now, that wasn't true originally. I ate a lot of sugar-free foods at one point in recovery. I don't know what a lot is. I ate some, and that works for a lot of people, and that's great. For me, my story is I cannot eat sugar-free foods. They're like methadone for me. And this is not a program of substitution for me. It is a program of surrender. And I can have the same mental obsession, I don't know if I have the chemical reaction or not, when I eat sugar-free, blah, blah, blah. So I just don't eat sugar-free, blah, blah, blah anymore, and it works. And the reason I'm willing to do that is because I'm willing to go to any lengths for my recovery. I certainly was willing to go to any lengths for my binge food. Flying in Ontario on port, renting a car and driving to Palm Springs, if this was the only place I could get a particular food that I craved, I would do that in a heartbeat. Not a problem. Get up at 3 o'clock in the morning in a hailstorm. I'm from Michigan. Get up in a hailstorm, snow, sleet, throw on some kind of raincoat, pray to God nobody knows me at the store at 3 o'clock in the morning, go there to get my binge food. Not a problem. You know, I was willing to go to any lengths. And I came in here thinking that food was recreation. You initially taught me that food was nutrition. I found that annoying. (laughs) And not something I wanted to hear. And recently, just recently, in the last couple, three years, I've changed my food plan again. I'm largely a plant-based person. And my, my food just keeps getting narrower and narrower. And the horizon of my life keeps getting wider and wider. And I now believe that food is medicine. This is my personal belief, that everything I put in my body is some form of medicine. So that affects, I, I, I try to make sure I have a greater variety of vegetables and fruits or a greater variety of things, thank you, Jack, um, than I used to. So let me talk a little bit about letting go. Aside from letting go of the food and putting down the fork. Um, I, you know, I just made a short list of... Uh, oh, before I do that, um, I didn't notice until this morning that there's a palm tree where you can let things go at. And I really encourage people to do that. It's wonderful that everybody is still here and that you didn't check out first thing this morning mentally and physically. And that you're here. If you haven't let go of something already this weekend, 
put it on the palm tree. Write it down. Grab one of us after the meeting and say, you know, I've got a resentment, or I've got a food I can't get rid of, or I've got whatever. Ask someone for help. Share it. Let it go before you leave here. Do not leave Palm Springs without letting go of something, a feeling, a resentment, a food, something. I'll stick around after the meeting if anybody wants to talk. Grab somebody, write it down, flush it down the toilet, put it in your God box. I don't care. Let it go. So um, I I have to let go of a lot, and if I told you everything I had to let go of, I'd go way over my time. Um, So I had to let go of old ideas and beliefs. Um, You know, I came in here believing that people who believed in God were weak, you know, and were kidding themselves. That was a big one I had to let go of. But I have a lot of old patterns, a lot of old behaviors, a lot of old ideas that probably served me when I was 8 or 13 or maybe even 24. They don't serve me anymore, and I've had to get rid of a lot of them, um, particularly my thinking. And, and I have to get rid of the, um, the thought that I have to be superwoman all the time in my family, in my work, in OA. You know, I do not have to do it all, and I do not have to do it perfectly. I have to let go of the, th- the thought that there's a right and a wrong. You know, I came in here very black and white thinking, and there was a right way and a wrong way, and I didn't understand that there were thousands of ways to do things. I have to let go of the illusion of control. I had a lot of illusion of control when I came in here. And I have to let go of my personality sometimes. Um, it was a long time before I realized that the tradition of placing principles before personalities was not to say to Wendy H., if you're sitting in a meeting and someone's sharing the mouse instead of the message, you need to be tolerant because it's principles before personalities. That's not what it says. It's about Wendy H. needing to put principles before my personality. What am I judging that speaker for in the first place? It always comes back to me. I'm the personality that I have to put principles above. And I got reminded of that last weekend. I was in South Dakota, and I was hanging out with uh, uh, my aunt and uncle, and um, who I don't get to see very often, and my aunt's got 33 years, and my uncle's got 26 years in, a, in the beverage program, as I heard it referred to yesterday. <laughs> I love that. I never heard that before. And I said, you know, I, I said, you know, that I was going to be here this weekend, and I said, you know, I'm scheduled to fly in on Friday afternoon, and I don't fly out till late Sunday, but for this medical reason, I'm, I'm going to change my flight and come in at 7 o'clock Saturday morning, and I you know, I feel uncomfortable with that because I don't know that it's, I don't remember how he said it. It was a casual comment over breakfast. Something like, I don't feel comfortable with that because I want to send a good message or I want to be a good role model or I want to be whatever. You know, when I speak, I try to be there the whole time. And my aunt turns, she's scrambling eggs. She turns and she looks at me and she goes, well, that's personality is about principles and you're the personality. And I was like, wow. And I knew in a second what she meant, in a nanosecond. It was my ego, my self-judgment, my belief that it had to be a certain way. It was perfectly fine. You know, I made it for the 10 o'clock session yesterday morning. But my, that's one of the things I have to let go of is my personality. Um, I have to let go of my will always. Oh, God, I have to let go of my will. Um, and I have to let God. Um, I have to let go of what I uh, sometimes refer to as impression management. And I have to let go of my own self-imposed limitations. I always say at every meeting that I live a life beyond my wildest dreams, and that is very, very true. When I came in here on August 3rd of 1989, if you had asked me what I wanted for me, I would have said, I'd like to never tip the scale at over 150 pounds again so that big number doesn't have to go across the scale. You know, I'd like to be the number one person in my very dysfunctional company where, that I worked for, that I was the number two at, 
and um, I'd like the... Uh, I, I like their very dysfunctional relationship that I am just broken up from, you know, to work. <laughs> so what I got instead was, today I stand before you at 122 pounds, not 149. I stand before you someone who has been happily in love and married many of these years for over 22 years. 22 years and, I don't know, some change. And I stand before you a woman who, two months after she got abstinent, started her own business God grew it up to 13 employees and, and barely $2 million a year, but we were grossing $2 million a year. Then God had someone from an international company ask me if I wanted to sell. So now I get to work part-time. I'm on my own because I did my stint there. I work part-time so I can be of more service. I'm happily married, and I weigh a weight that I would only have been able, I couldn't even dream of before. I, I, knew, I know I didn't weigh this when I was 13, for God's sakes. Um, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. I've been a compulsive overeater my whole life. So, and listen to the timing on that. I've got 23 years, 10 months and change of abstinence. My, start, my business started 23 years and 8 months ago. And my relationship started 22 years and, what would that be, three, 3 months ago. They all happened after I got abstinent. They all happened after I started working the steps. And, you know, my business was way, way beyond my wildest dreams. And the accolades that I got and the experiences that I had with these amazing men and women. And my business plan, literally, was every day I roll out of bed, I get down on my knees, and I turn my will and my life over to of God. And it turns out God's a hell of a good businesswoman. I never had a five-year plan. I never had a five-year plan. I just had a daily plan, and I ran my business to the best of my ability via the 12 traditions, and my sponsor helped keep me in check on that. And, and I also have had the opportunity to, to um, since I sold the business and, and started working just part-time, be of service in my family where I have amazing stories about my healed relationships with my father and my mother that I won't go into today because I really want to hear what Matt's going to say. And, um, and I was able to be of more service in Overeaters Anonymous, which is a gift for me because it's the most important thing in my life. I also have been able to travel, and I know many people in this room travel, but if you haven't had a chance to travel since you got abstinent, I guarantee you, you can go anywhere in the world and stay abstinent. And pretty much anywhere in the world, there are Overeaters Anonymous meetings. Um, I just came back from two weeks in Greece with a quick stop to Germany on the way, and there was one English-speaking uh, meeting in Athens, and I was only there three days, and it was when I was there. And I want to thank a woman named Markella, who started that meeting a year ago. You can go to Athens and get an English-speaking meeting. Um, and I'm grateful for that. And, and uh, okay. So um, all of what I've gotten, I've gotten from following the suggestions of Overeaters Anonymous. And while there are no rules, there are suggestions. And the main suggestion we've got is work the steps. I know it's the only suggestion, but I'm here to tell you, in my experience, it's the only suggestion we've got. There's not a plan B and OA. It's grab someone, work the, get a sponsor, work the steps. So I hope for all of you and for me that we keep working the steps one day at a time. I want to close talking about self-limitations. You know, I grew up a fat kid, chosen last for dodgeball. God, if the foreign exchange student was in town, I was grateful because I got to be chosen second to last. <laughs> fat kid, not athletic, you know, and in 1993, by the grace of God, the 12 steps and one mile at a time, I jogged the California National Marathon. That is, that is just not possible for someone who grew up like me. It's just not, and yet it happened. And when I was training for the marathon, I heard the story of a man named Roger Bannister. I don't know if you know who Roger Bannister is, but in the 1950s, 
It was believed in all, all medical journals, there were more than 50 medical journals and, and medical uh, reports written that said the human body could never break the four-minute mile. The heart-lung capacity could not allow us to break the four-minute mile. And a guy in London by the name of Roger Bannister one day broke the four-minute mile. Now, the amazing thing is, within three months, something like 20 or 30 people had broken the four-minute mile, and within a year, over 100 had broken the four-minute mile. The only difference was they believed it was possible. That was it. They believed it was possible. So as you go out through your weekend and your life, I I would ask you and ask myself, how am I limiting myself? What's my four-minute mile? What is it that I tell myself I can't do? Whether it's with my food, whether it's with an amends, whether it's with learning a foreign language or some sport I don't think I can do. And let go of those self-limitations. Let go of those self-limitations. And, and remember that on page 164, it says that we are trudging the road of happy destiny, not to happy destiny. So I hope you let go of your self-limitations. I hope you let God, and I thank you so very, very much for being with me this weekend. Thank you so much, Wendy. That was amazing. Um, All right. So please join me in welcoming our second speaker, Matt. Uh, Hi, my name is Matt. I'm a compulsive overeater. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, I have six years of abstinence. I'm down 160 pounds from my top weight. Okay. Um, my heart goes out to the newcomers that are here today, not just because I know the pain and suffering it is coming in new, but more importantly, um, I have some news for you. The convention, the t-shirts, the auction is not the program of Overeaters Anonymous. (laughs) The program of Overeaters Anonymous is me being 340 pounds and calling a number and saying, where's the meeting and what do I need to bring? And someone tell me, you don't need to bring anything, just bring yourself. And know you're giving yourself the greatest gift you could ever give yourself. And going to that meeting and finding a sponsor. Getting honest about what foods were causing me problems and getting sober from them. We call it abstinence, but I am sober in Overeaters Anonymous. I believe the conventions and the workshops and, the, and the, the, the special events we have, for me, those are the watering holes. That's where I go and, I, and I, find, I find recovery and I'm around other people who are in recovery. And then I get to go out there and I get to carry the message. The whole point of working the 12 steps is to get to the 12 steps, which is says having a spiritual experience as the result of working these steps, we carry the message to other compulsive overeaters. And we practice the principles in all our affairs. And that's the part that my sponsor keeps reminding me is that means you get to have a life. How many people here are 30 and under? Raise your hands.
We are not the future of Overeaters Anonymous. We are Overeaters Anonymous. And you know what? I'm going to share my opinions because before OA, I was too scared to have any. So... We have an opportunity to live life. We have an opportunity to live life. And more importantly, what for me is changing with Overeaters Anonymous and what I think is most important is that I get to speak my truth. You know, one thing I've heard from a lot of long timers when I've shared at meetings and stuff, I've heard, well, there's some things we just take to our sponsors. But the truth is for me being 29 and coming in at 21 years old, I was concerned with losing the weight. I was concerned with having sex. I was concerned with trying to find clothes that fit me. I was concerned with trying to have a social life. I was concerned with how am I going to go out and be social and stay abstinent. Those are the things I was concerned with. And the thing about the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous is they finally added it into the preamble. We finally now have it in the preamble that says that, that it mentions the 12 steps before it never mentioned that. I've had people tell me, you know, when I was new and I even two or three years in, I'm talking about the food, I'm talking about the food, I'm talking about the food. And someone said, you know, she's seen people live and die in their food plans. So, yes, I abstained from flour and sugar. Yes, I lost the weight really fast and I got to talk about it. I got to deal with it. I got to work on it. We get to just be ourselves here and just carry the message of Overeaters Anonymous. That's all we're here to do. And, you know, people tell me, they're like, they say, uh, thank God you got it young. Thank God you got it young. And it's like, listen, I was in so much pain, I had no other option. My age, in and of itself, is an outside issue. Um, I never write things down. I don't ever prepare anything I'm going to share. And, like, I couldn't sleep last night. I haven't been able to sleep for a while. And um, this past year has been probably the most intense year of my life. And um, it, um, it's because it's the most present I've ever been. And um, the thing is, is, like, I have six years of abstinence, and it's taken me six years to get happy. And what happy means is I don't even think happy is the right word. It's content. Because it means that whether I have something or not, I'm still fooled. I, I'm content. There's a contents to my life that is so much bigger than anything that, that anyone could ever give me or I could win or, or whatever. And, like, I don't know if this was a gra- – I was writing down everything that I had gone through in my, since I got abstinent. There's periods in my life before abstinence that I don't even remember. And um, I was writing a list of everything that I've been through since I've gotten abstinent. And I realized by the end of it, it really is a gratitude list. And I just want to share some of it with you. I got abstinent. I lost my abstinence. I got abstinent. I lost my abstinence. <laughs> I got abstinent. Got my first real job with benefits. Got my first apartment. Signed up my first lease. Got my first car. First shitty car. <laughs> Moved in with my girlfriend. Went to Disneyland for the first time and rode a roller coaster after six years, having not been on one for six or seven years. Stopped talking to my family for two years. Started therapy. Served on intergroups. Went to a funeral of a fellow who died from the disease. Sat with my friend as he decided to take his mom off life support. But being able to see it as the most beautiful experience I had ever had. 
got to see God in that. Stayed at a job for four years I hated. (laughs) Auditioned for my master's in San Francisco. Visited San Francisco. Got to walk and see the Golden Gate Bridge that my grandfather always talked about. That he went over, he was in a submarine going under it for World War II. Left a job I hated after four years. (laughs) Became a barista because I always wanted to learn how to make a latte. I got engaged in OA, got married in OA, went to Disneyland, no, Disney World, sorry, went to marriage counseling, got divorced in OA, um, And, you know, I tried to put these in as much order as I could, but the whole point of this is, like, there's no linear line to this. And the whole point of Overeaters Anonymous is that it's not that my life gets to get great, it's that my life gets to just be what it is. And this whole thing about letting go, it's just that it's about living. And for the first time, I get to be alive for any of it. And for the first time, at six years of absence, I'm finally willing to just be like, I'm going to make some choices. I'm going to make some choices and decide what I want. July 1st is about is about a year that... This past year has been about me getting my life back together because a year ago we decided to divorce, you know. So, so I got divorced in a way, felt like a failure, felt like a success, got really broke, couldn't pay my debt, made more money, got another job, got fired from a job, I bought expensive jeans. Started tucking my shirt in. (laughs) You guys are so shallow. (laughs) Started pursuing my dreams full time. Spent a week in New York City at an artist at an artist intensive. Finally, finally consider myself an artist. I got it. Got an agent, left an agent, got an agent. Uh, got, a na- got naked in front of a woman who didn't know me before OA. This is, in, this is in chronological order. Um, here's another thing. I'm going to, you know, I don't, I have no qualms acknowledging that I am grateful for my sexuality. Because it's the greatest gift of Overeaters Anonymous. And for, for those of us who are young in program, we have to talk about that. And that's okay. And it's not to be shunned. It's to be embraced and appreciated. And I'm grateful for those meetings that I can go to where I can talk with other young people about what it's like to be like, you know what, I have excess skin and there's this woman I really want to be with, but I'm really scared to talk. I'm really scared. It's okay. I had to talk in therapy about what it was like to just want to have sex and to find someone attractive and then to judge myself for wanting a woman that looked the way I wanted her to look. 
This program and the people here are teaching me not to be ashamed of who I am, but to like myself exactly as I am. And the 12 and 12 talks about how our instincts have gone awry. So when we align our instincts, what does that look like? For me, that looks like me at a healthy body weight. It looks like me acknowledging what I find attractive. It means me acknowledging what I want in my life. And then I also have learned, where, when does it become a character defect? And when is it a character asset? And when am I just being me? And not apologizing for it anymore. But I've only gotten to ask these questions by being at a healthy body weight, by being abstinent and being sober with my food. Because when I'm, when I'm at a healthy body weight, the decisions I make for myself now are different than the decisions I make for myself at 340 pounds. So I got, for, got naked in front of a woman, got to experience the high of having sex, like that thing where like you're still thinking about it like a week later where it's like, whoo. I've fallen in love. And this is six years and a divorce. I finally have, I made love for the first time. I joined another program. I joined another program. <laughs> Came to terms with abuse that I had growing up or coming to terms with abuse I had growing up. And again, this is it, six years of abstinence. And um, I'm going to read something out of We Agnostics as well. Lack of power, that was our dilemma. We had to find a power by which we could live, and it had to be a power greater than ourselves. Obviously, but where and how are we to find this power? Well, that's exactly what this book is about. Its main object is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. That means we have written a book which, is, which we believe to be spiritual as well as moral. And it means, of course, that we are going to talk about God. Here's the thing. It doesn't say that, that you get to go to someone else and you get to say, hey, can you please tell me how to do this? It says its main object is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. No one here is going to give you the answers. They're just going to tell you how they got it for themselves. I, my first sponsor, he told me when, you know, he, he, was, he always told me about, you know, it's one minute on the problem and two minutes on the solution. And because I go to meetings and I tr that's how I try to live my life, if I can do that in a meeting, then I can start to carry that out into my life. You know, like I've been in this place where I feel like, what am I doing with my life? 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 And I feel like I live this constant state of just, just like confusion, just a constant state of confusion. And like the only, solution, the only thing that I can come up with is that that is actually what living is. <laughs> that like, it's about that. It's about like this whole list of things I'm grateful for are things that when I'm going through it at the time, I'm like, holy shit, this is never going to end. You know? 
But the whole point is, is like, I get to be here and I get to be present for it and I get to experience. And like the gift of living is the gift of feeling. It's the gift. When I was new, my sponsor said feelings aren't fact. And I needed that. It was the everything he told me, everything my head tells me is not real. And I needed that because everything that my head told me was that everything was going to be a sense of impending calamity. And it told me that I was a piece of shit. And it told me that like no one really liked me. It told me I was a failure. It told me I couldn't do this or I couldn't do that. And so for the first time, I slowly started to learn to hear what my head was telling me and not pick it up like it was the truth. That's the disease, the disease in our thinking. But it first started with me identifying what the big book talks about, an allergy of the body, an obsession of the mind. You know, and it's like we have these conventions. And again, I'm like, am I preaching to the choir? Like, but the whole point is, is like my serenity and my, my growth and my recovery only comes from me being willing to take whatever little bit of knowledge I've learned here, whatever little bit of experience I have, and carrying it out into the world and carrying it to other meetings. Uh, meetings are not the program. The tools are not the program. The, the program is the 12 Steps of Overeaters Anonymous, and the meetings are where we go to carry the message of recovery. I have a really hard time with prayer and meditation. I, I, it's always going to be a problem. It's just not, I don't know. But then someone, I had to call this one long timer and he said, you know, when you're just listening to someone else, that's meditating. When you're listening to someone else and you're not thinking of yourself, he goes, that's meditating. You know what? I, the only way I've been able to stay absent six years is because I've lowered my expectations of myself. You know, Nancy told me, like, as long as I stay absent, that's my job today. And that's a gift. And I really do believe, like, we're all gifted with abstinence. Five left. We're all given the gift of abstinence. And just like whenever anybody gives you something, the whole point is just to keep it up. Just to keep it up. Being honest with my food... And being abstinent allows me to get really honest with my life. It has given me the gift to stop and say what is working and what isn't. And if it's not working, to let it go. It's given me the gift to make choices for myself. Because if I'm not willing to stop and ask myself what I want, I will eat again. This program has taught me that, like, you know, I hear a lot in 12 steps about self-care. Self-care. And I think there's a big difference between self-care and then just taking care of yourself. This program is a gift. And like for me, I believe that the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous is, is the most profound piece of literature. Because it encompasses every religion, every denomination, and anyone can filter their own personal beliefs through the spiritual practices in this book. And when you look at all the different 12 steps that are out there, to me it tells me that there are so many people suffering in many different ways. But more importantly, not that we're suffering, but that there's not even necessarily a solution, but I think that there is a truth within the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. I believe that there is a truth within the 12 steps. And that whole truth is that, is that there is a power greater than myself that can solve my problems. 
And that doesn't have to do with alcoholics or drug addicts or compulsive overeaters or debtors. That just has to do with the fact that maybe in this world we're all looking for a solution. And that solution is that we all are looking for a power greater than ourselves that lies within us. The big book says we found the, deep rea- the great reality deep down within us. And like that's all I was looking for was to find some sort of power in myself that I could go out there and say, you know what, I know God, I know you want me to live a life. I know you want me to do something. I still don't know what it is. But at least if I can start to feel like I have the ability to make choices for myself, then maybe that is the solution. This is how we are suffering. I'm a compulsive overeater. And it is only through the 12 steps that I'm going to find that power greater than myself. Perhaps maybe me being a compulsive overeater is the only means in which I could stop and say, I need something bigger than myself. Perhaps that this is how, maybe we're all in the same boat in this world. And we're overeaters. And so we get to carry that message in this particular way. It's a privilege And quite frankly, it's an obligation when we find it for ourselves. And this whole idea of letting go just means that I get to just live my life one day at a time. And I get to enjoy it and I get to screw up and I get to make mistakes. This past year, I've been living on my friend's couch with the divorce. I gave her everything. I was like, I don't need anything. Because the whole point is, is like I was with her a year before I got abstinent, and I stayed in a relationship that I really wasn't happy with. And I have to look at that. And this past year has honestly been the most freeing year of my life. Because the one thing I was failed to, I, I failed to acknowledge in Overeaters Anonymous the past six years that that. Being honest with ourselves and being honest about what we want is really what I think life is really about. I really pray that um, I do a lot of work with young people in OA. And um, I'm so grateful that I got it at 21. You guys have taught me how to balance my checkbook. You guys have taught me how to have a job I hate. You taught me how to pray for people. You taught me how to stand up for myself when I don't want to. And also that spirituality, there's no rules. You know? My sponsor said, you know what? If that person's really bothering you, I never had the experience of standing up for myself. He said, you know what? If someone's really bothering you, go tell them to F off and then you can always make amends later. But you know what that is? But the thing is, it's like we want to put all these rules on spirituality and stuff, but maybe that's my path. I mean, we're laughing, but I'm really serious. It's like, it's about messing up. This whole thing is about, we really can't screw it up because God's so much bigger than our mess ups. You know, with with the divorce, I was like, you know what, I... I was in a marriage where she was unemployed and I was working two jobs and I was paying for everything. I was paying all my debt. I was paying. And I was like, you know what? I can't do it anymore. I left a job I hated. One of my jobs I hated. I've left several jobs that I've hated. (laughs) And I just 
couldn't pay my debt back. And then I was just working on recovery and just doing this deal and doing this deal. And like, I don't know what I'm doing. I just know I just do the next indicated step. And I think that's all we're really here to do. I, I pray, I pray for recovery. I pray that God will continue to bless me with the gift of abstinence and the gift of recovery because I know I can't own this shit. This isn't me. I just get to show up and share my experience. My sponsor said, when you get, I was like, when will I start to feel like, you know, like recovered or like I have, he goes, you know, he goes, you'll have 20 years when you have 20 years, you know, and, and I have six years and I still feel like I'm very new. I'm so new. I encourage young people to go out and screw up. I encourage you guys to go out and if you're at a healthy body weight, be safe and have sex. I encourage you to go out there and go to parties. And when you don't know how to stay abstinent through it or you don't know what to do, you call someone and say, how can I go to this and stay abstinent? Don't shelter yourself away. Because that's not what this program is about. It's about how do I live my life. And it takes time. My first few years was just me going to meetings and then God bless Terrell put me on an intergroup board at one year of abstinence. And you know what that taught me is that we're in recovery, but we're not well. (laughs) And I needed to know that because it's okay because I'm not well either. And they're all just here doing the same thing. And I'm so, so grateful. I'm so grateful for Overeaters Anonymous. I'm so grateful for the conversations I get to have. And I'm going to just end with this. I went to the last marathon meeting, Living Live the Miracle. And um, you're right there. You spoke. You were, it was really an amazing, it, you really touched me. And um, I'm just here just to live the miracle. And the miracle is just simply that I get to live. So thank you for letting me share. Out of the mouths of babes. I want to say thank you to Matt. I want to say thank you to Wendy, my brother, my sister. I love you. Your message touched my heart. And I thank you so much for helping us do this wonderful event.